Hello and welcome to the Labor John Podcast. We're going to get right to the meat of it. My name is young Sam James and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Gabe Christie. And we have a very special episode today, don't we Gabe? We do indeed. Uh, we have a very special guest. Uh, if you would like to introduce yourself, Wade. Wade Rathke. I've uh, been with Acorn for 53 years. Uh, Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now. We work in about 15 countries. We organize membership groups of uh, low to moderate income families, tenants, low wage workers, uh, whoever needs help in taking on issues and making something happen. And we worked in Philadelphia from about 1975, six on. So uh, glad to be here with you guys. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. I wanted to ask a couple questions. So first, I guess, uh, if you can briefly go into how Acorn came to be. Uh, you know, I was, uh, when you're 20, 21 years old, luckily you know everything. It's only as the years pile up, you realize uh, you're stupid as a brick. But uh, I was working as a welfare rights organization. I started organizing. I dropped out of school up uh, north of you um, to organize against the war. Uh, that was the Vietnam War, not some of the more recent wars you all might be more familiar with. But uh, There have been a couple. Yeah, we uh, forever wars, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, I uh, got a job uh, organizing for the Welfare Rights Organization, uh, first in Springfield, Mass., and then moved to Boston, uh, was head organizer of Mass Welfare Rights, and thought I knew uh, how to do something a little bit different and better, not just welfare recipients, but the entire low to moderate income constituency. And I talked the director of welfare rights, Dr. George Wiley, into letting me open up an operation in Arkansas. He'd raised some money for a Southern strategy for welfare rights, but didn't have anybody willing to go there. Well, I went to high school in New Orleans, so I didn't hate the South. I was okay with going South. Uh, so June 18th of 1970, I showed up in Little Rock and began organizing ACORN at that point. Wow. That's awesome. 21 years uh, old, you know, got to jump on that sucker. Yeah. Wow. How was how was the scene in 1970 Arkansas? Well, uh, let's say this: we were organizing a multiracial organization of low-income people. So, um, what did I know about Little Rock? I'd never been to Arkansas until I showed up to be an organizer. Uh, you know, in the way that uh, I was married briefly uh, at 20 years old, and I was so unsure of it. Uh, uh, my wife stayed in New Orleans the first couple of months because I wasn't sure what the heck would happen. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, you build a base, uh, you follow your members, and, uh, you know, as I say, you, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you just do the work. And uh, we started, it was an unusual situation, but we believed in the arrogance of youth and uh, the commitment that we had politically that if we could prove something like Acorn could work in a place like Arkansas, then, God, it would work anywhere. And right. maybe, that, maybe that turned out to be true. Uh, yeah. You never know. Yeah. The, uh, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the squatting campaign that Acorn ran in Philly. Uh, I read your piece about the most recent uh, campaign during the George Floyd uprising. The uh, 
we love Philadelphia, um, and we opened the office there first around 77 uh, or so. Um, one of the, at that time, there was huge abandonment in Philadelphia, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, but there still is, um, but it was a very simple campaign when we started uh, how to put people who needed houses with houses that needed people, and at that point, there were a lot of, because of white flight and economic change, there were people who sometimes you would pry open the door that might have been nailed shut or whatever, and you'd find a full set of furniture or whatever. A lot of these houses had defaulted on taxes and because of the system in Philly had gone to be, they were property of the Philadelphia city government and mm-hmm. they didn't have a plan. Um, they were just sitting on tens of thousands of houses. So particularly in North Philly and areas like that, uh, where we had huge membership base, um, we started putting our people together, training them, opening up, uh, busting through the front door, connecting uh, water and lights and uh, waiting to see what would happen, um, protecting those squatters while they were in there and demanding that the city set up a $1 a year program, which Mm. I'm sad to say, I mean, I have some people in Philadelphia working as organizers and staff with me now. that That program doesn't exist now, but it did for decades and a lot of people were able to get houses that way. The problem we found is that you could squat a house and try to do sweat equity, but some of the skills that go with making a house work uh, are a little hard to go. And we ended up having to create the Acorn Housing Corporation. Uh, loan counseling is still headquartered over on Broad uh, Street in, uh, in Philly. Uh, so there became other ways we could convince banks to give us the money so that people could get their houses. Uh, but squatting mm-hmm. was a, what we did. We started in Philly and then took it to another 15 cities where we were organizing. Uh, some as successful as Philly turned out to be, and some all you could do is get arrested and kicked out. You never knew. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it's, I mean, it's sad that we're still facing a lot of the same problems, but it's uh, it's nice to know that there's at least been pressure against it this whole time. Uh, there's uh, a very good movie about uh, called The Squatters, The Philadelphia Story. Uh, director was Charles Koppelman, which tells the whole uh, story of Acorn. We ended up uh, setting up a tent city behind the White House uh, for a while, a couple of years after we started the campaign with all of our squatters. And won a act in Congress, uh, a homesteading act, which gave people a right to take over these houses. Um, we could never beat HUD. HUD would just arrest you the second you, you opened the door. But where the houses mm-hmm. were owned by cities like Philly or Fort Worth or New York or whatever, uh, we were often able to fashion programs that uh, help move houses to people. Hmm. Love Philly. Love yeah. Philly. Great city. Had, you don't uh, you don't need to hold back on your opinion of Philadelphia on this podcast, <laughs> definitely. There's nobody who who hates Philly like how Philly people love Philly. Yeah, exactly. That makes them. That's true. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, we've we did an episode a while ago on the founding of the PHA, uh, and that it. Uh, I mean, 
Did even, you say the founderine of the PHA or the founding of the PHA? Found, founding of the PHA. Uh, that was my joke. Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> because that, that's an agency that's been foundering for decades, my brother. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it was floundering almost the moment it was founded. I'm uh, a that was a Freudian slip. The, yeah. uh, but it was, it's interesting to see that uh, even back then, basically the only reason the city government did anything was because NAACP and the Communist Party teamed up and said, there's going to be a revolution if you don't do this. Uh, and then, uh, was it Grace Kelly's father ended up advocating for it because he was running for mayor. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's how we got it for what limited good it has done. Yeah. I'm not saying it's done nothing. I mean, without it, what would you have? More people without any place to go. But it could right. it have such potential and still does if there was really yeah. a housing policy and plan. But uh, back in the days of Rizzo, when we first started this campaign, it was uh, we got they used to have a whole division of the police department that dealt with civil disobedience. And let me tell you. It was all first name basis in Philly. First name basis. <laughs> yeah. you know, hey, hey, Wade. Hey, John. Hey, you know, Fran. I mean, it was like that. I mean, uh, I got yeah, stood up there's... against. Every time I'd go to Philly, it seemed like I was stood up against a wall. We did a youth <laughs> youth jobs campaign. Fifteen hundred people marched on City Hall, stood up against the wall. You know, it was like that. You know, Philly's mm -hmm. a great city. Yeah, there's a there's an in joke between me and Gabe that we call Frank Rizzo, friend of the show, Frank Rizzo, because he turns up so many times. Yeah. Not always in the good light, but he turns yeah. up somehow. Yeah. Even outside office, he was still involved in a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, he's a bad penny that kept turning up. There's no question about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to bring us up a little bit more up to date and uh wanted to ask you about the campaign against comcast back in 2015 uh so i know you there's one down both in new orleans and then also one up in philly we at philadelphia we worked with uh, our old partners uh, uh craig robbins who used to be acorn pennsylvania um and we also pushed them hard in little rock and new orleans right um you know, Comcast wanted to buy NBC Universal for the FCC to approve the thing. Um, they put Comcast through some hearings and they promised that they would provide low income families with $10 a month internet. That was the promise. Now, with Comcast, then you have to get them to actually do it. And mm -hmm. there was really no implementation plan. Um, they frequently, if you went on the internet uh, to try to sign up or call them, they tried to upsell you to something that wasn't a $10 plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was. Uh, we also fought them in Houston. So we, we went after them every way we could. We filed a complaint uh, from all these cities uh, with the FCC that they weren't complying to try to hold up them getting an, uh, you know, a waiver to, to finally shut down the agreement they'd made. Uh, David, what's his name, uh, who was a uh, big wig in City Hall for the mayor, um, who is the big, uh, he was sort of a vice president of operations. Uh, what's that bum's name? Um, I, think, I think they finally moved him out, but um, 
he'd have all these promises. He'd go down to the FCC. He'd talk to the politicians. Uh, he was the flat catcher for the CEO. Um, and as soon as this show's over, I'll remember his name, but luckily I've repressed it. You know how you repress <laughs> nightmares, bad dreams, abuse, whatever. Uh, I know his first name was David, and I, I corresponded with him at length. Uh, we negotiated with them in, in Philadelphia directly with, uh, with our partners. Was it Cohen? Huh? Was it Cohen? Yeah. David Cohen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, he's still, I mean, he still probably tries to wave a big stick around Philly, but uh, uh, luckily he's been embarrassed and out of the news for the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. You got the great book about Philly where he was actually, you know, a main character as if he was some kind of progressive, but boy, that mm. turned out to be false, uh, fake news. Um, but anyway, uh, Cohen uh, kept promising, kept promising, and we kept pushing. We did get the FCC to extend the agreement. Um, but the real truth is that the FCC at that time was making this largely a voluntary program. We also tried to move a $10 program to other companies, Cox Cable uh, down in the South and AT&T and whatever. Ironically, we've made a lot of headway with these companies on a $10 a month plan in Canada, which is totally run oh. by three monopoly telephone companies. But with Rogers and Teleco and others, we have a pretty good high-speed, cheap $10 uh, program in most of the country. But Comcast, uh, I mean, we uh, I can't tell you how I many we sat in, we did everything we could, but uh, that's just mm -hmm. not my favorite company. You've, you've asked something. <laughs> you're, opening a, you're opening a wound now, Gabe. I mean, now uh, it's going to be a funny, friendly show. Damn. Um, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir of Comcast Ask me about some other of our, our targets over the years, and it just will get hotter. But, you know, Comcast, <laughs> they just never did right. I mean, and then they yeah. built a building just like the first building and got all these subsidies. Is anybody oh, in yeah. those buildings? I mean, I, it's the one place I hope remote work <laughs> is working because I'd like to see them lose their shirt on that building. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. See, uh, we might my be interaction. That building, Gabe? We might be able to squat there and they might not know we were there. It might be there on the 10th to 15th floor. It could be years before they find us. I'm, I I'm think that's the plan. People after the show and see what we can do. <laughs> well, got to make sure you start organizing before we release it so you catch them unaware. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, I'm they not definitely sure listen, to, listen to your show. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, I will say from the outside, the uh, the one thing I do remember about the Comcast campaign was the uh, like, was it a four or five hour long public hearing where just about the whole city showed up to just complain? And that was fun to watch, but and and that was actually fun. I wasn't there, but uh, Craig Robbins, who uh, was working with us on that uh, campaign told me about it. I mean, you know, we love that because nobody liked them. I mean, it was like dealing oh, yeah. with banks in the depression or, or yesterday, um, mm -hmm. you know, they just had managed to offend everybody. So they had no public support other than where the company made campaign contributions. And Cohen was good with that. Um, yeah. Gave a lot of money to Democrats, a lot of money to Republicans and yeah. no money to customers. And, customer service they couldn't really figure out how to spell that and they certainly didn't know how to yeah. do it 
Um, I'm, I don't think they can yet. So, yeah, they believe in customers, not service. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rough place to work. Uh, so did want to ask what organizing campaigns you're currently working on, if there's anything that, uh, you can be public about. The, uh, we work in about 15 countries now. Um, a lot of our work has to do with, particularly because we're in Canada, we're in Ireland, we're in Scotland, we're in England, France, whatever. Uh, like the U S people can't afford to rent anymore. Um, you know, there was strong public housing or social housing programs in these countries until Thatcher in the UK and here and there. Um, and now there are few protections for private tenants. And so a lot of our work, I mean, we still organize multi-issue groups, but a lot of what the first issues that come up in the groups have to do with security of tenure, uh, rent control, landlord licensing. Uh, these have been big campaigns for us. And uh, we're expanding rapidly in that area, Netherlands, uh, uh, whatever, uh, throughout, uh, you know, we've got people talking to us in New Zealand and Australia. You never know what's going to happen, but that's been a big campaign. Uh, and there are a number of others. Obviously, we organize low-wage workers, and we've talked mm -hmm. to a lot of people who work in dollar stores recently. Um, uh, we caught hold of uh, Mary Gunnell, who'd become a, a queen of TikTok once she started posting uh what it was like to work as a supervisor with uh, at Dollar General. And, uh, you know, we've got a big report coming out here on May Day about uh, we got teamed up with some people and hit about $100 stores uh, in Atlanta. And, you know, the conclusion isn't surprising, but it sucks for customers and it sucks for workers. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if the dollar stores have proliferated in Philly, uh, but... They're, they're everywhere, it seems like, unless you, you know, no, put are. a limit on them, you know, one, will, one will open up across the store from the other. So, yep. But we originally organized uh, workers, uh, we, you know, we have a United Labor Unions uh, had, a, had a local 862 in Philly. We organized a rag pickers uh, factory there, and the number, of the local was 862 because we won the election, 8622. Um mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, we also ended up on a strike because when they wouldn't make a deal and, uh, you know, the workers uh, picketed the synagogue where the guy, you know, who owner was, it just was a mess. And we never got a contract there. We did get some contracts elsewhere um, in Philly. But when we merged with SEIU back uh, in 1984, um, that local became part of uh, their local nine to five, which was uh, clerical, uh, the nine to five clerical uh, local of SEIU's and uh, local 100 here based in the south remained 880 for home health care workers and some other of the locals still were independent. But the Philadelphia operation went over to uh, that local. And I don't know what happened after that. You know, it's a SEIU is a pretty big outfit. Uh, so I imagine. Yeah. They got kind of lost in the shuffle, but it was what it was. And uh, our local stayed part of SEIU for 25 years. And we still are working on that, uh, whether it was we organized Walmart workers uh, with SEIU and, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so we read some big campaigns and I've got nothing but praise for them, but we're just not 
we're a little bit too controversial for SEIU at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sometimes good to push the envelope. So, yeah. And sometimes the envelope pushes back at you. Uh, yes. Very true. I mean, we could call it paper cuts, but it, it hurts a little worse than that. But yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, rumor has it that you're going to be in town soon. I want to, I know you're on uh, orders from, I think, David, whoever was putting us together that uh, you have some topics you need to hit on. Well, we're definitely going to be in Philadelphia. Um, you know, Acorn stopped doing a lot of work in the U.S. around 2010. Uh, we've, I've mm-hmm. been, I left in 2008 and have largely been working with uh, projects, some projects here in the U.S., but a lot internationally, uh, where our largest affiliates are in Canada and India. Um, but we've been hearing more and more recently about people who are interested in how Acorn works and the fact that there's in some cases still a vacuum um, in terms of the work we used to do, whether it was voter registration or housing rights or living wage campaigns or whatever. So, yeah, we're going to do an introductory thing on community organizing ACORN style uh, starting May 10th in Western Mass um, outside of Springfield, then Boston the next day. And then two days in Philly, we're going to be at the Unitari- First Unitarian Church on Friday, May 12th, 7 p.m., Philly. And we'll be meeting with some other groups in Philadelphia on Saturday and then over to D.C. and Baltimore and then back home to New Orleans. So, yeah, we're uh, we're going to see if we can spread the gospel and do a little evangelical work and see what people are really talking about out there and organizing. It's sometimes good to hear what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and what people think we should do. And as long as they don't ask any trick questions, I think we'll do okay. (laughs) Well, I'm, I know uh, you'll get a warm reception in Philly at least because we're the city's labor movement is definitely heating up recently. So. Well, I understand, uh, you know, there's been a lot of the Starbucks stuff and some of the other coffee Mm -hmm. chains have organized and, um, I'm meeting, uh, you know, while I'm there with some people who have been active in trying to organize inside Amazon plants. So um, we're doing a lot of work in East Delhi on a project with uh, uh, the Global Union Federation on an Amazon plant there. That's Delhi, oh, India, wow. not, not wow. Delhi. I mean, I know there's some states, some delis here in the U.S., but there is a it's a wider world out there, Sam and Gabe. And, you know, sometimes you have to meet it head to one. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting campaign. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, but they're also doing some great work. Um, not just the Amazon labor union, but Amazonians United, if you're familiar with them, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of good committed, uh, uh, activists who've uh, spent time organizing inside of it. I've, I've enjoyed talking to them and, uh, you know, have a lot of praise for their commitment and, uh, I think more and more they're focusing on uh, a regional strategy. I mean, it's, it's like when we went after Walmart. I mean, you have to you have to get geographically tight with them. We focused on the I-4 corridor between Orlando and Tampa, St. Pete, when we did the, the campaign with the UFCW, SCIU, and the AFL-CIO and ACORN back mm-hmm. 2005 to 2008. Um, 
And if you and that's how we got to India. In fact, the first time was trying to stop mm-hmm. them from expanding in India. But uh, I think as they focus more on uh, plants that are close together and they can get some traction that way. But you know, fifteen hundred, twelve hundred uh, plant uh, factories or warehouses that Amazon has. I mean, none of us will live long enough to organize that that way right. on NLRB elections, kill me now. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a way that they can, you know, get enough yeah. strength inside and put those things together and put some real pressure on the company and then uh, sure. see what might be able to happen. Yeah. And especially, I mean, going the traditional route, when you have an Amazon warehouse every six to 10 miles, they can shut one down and not lose a day of profits. I mean, they have specialized in redundancy. They have one, you know, one warehouse after another. I mean, yep. Walmart had 27 different kinds of warehouses. So if you if you could ever have focused on just the jewelry or just some of the specialty things, you could have cut the supply chain within the company. Um, we didn't have the capacity when we were running the campaign. We were going on a strategy, a multi-point strategy, but the main part was stopping them from opening new superstores in in that corridor. And we blocked 32 consecutive stores that they planned to do. You know, we learned uh, we learned some stuff I'd ne- you know, I'd never thought I'd find out it even existed. But we learned how to do geo marketing like the retail boys do uh, and, and women, um, how they figure out where to put a big box store. We went to some folks in. Uh-huh. The business school at Tallahassee at the University of Florida. We got schooled in how to do that. We taught our our researcher uh, how to do it and read the book and called planning departments and city halls in in thirty uh, some counties every week to see what was going on around these corners. And as soon as they got ready to move on one of these locations, boom, we were all over them like white on rice. And uh, you know they tried to put it in swamps. I mean they tried to. Put a big super center in a complex of $400,000 houses. I, I know $400,000 doesn't seem like a lot of house now, but 15, 20 years ago, that was a big house. Um, and a lot of those people don't like a Walmart next door. Um, so, you know, yeah, but I, I think uh, there's a way to beat these companies, but it's harder to beat Amazon just because they have specialized in redundancy. I mean, they could shut down. One, I mean, you could watch the strikes that uh, Verity does in Germany, every, you know, every every year for the last number of years, and Amazon just keeps on cooking. Um, they'll take everybody out where they have them, and they'll still be able to make deliveries. It's rough. Yep. But you got to fight the fight where you can, so. Fight where you have to. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you're picking up some good tactics over the years, uh, like working behind the lines, trying to figure out, as they do, these billion-dollar companies. Um, and just it seems like it's only after a number of years of, of learning that you can really understand all this. Well, strategy and tactics is something if you're going to build a mass organization, whether it's of workers or people of communities or tenants or uh, whoever, is part of why we get paid to do what we do, uh, my friend. And um, unfortunately, 
some of the tactics uh, within the labor movement, if you read books from the 30s, are the exact same that companies mm-hmm. were using and unions were doing in the 30s. You could look at some of the leaflets. Or you could almost put it on a piece of 8 by 12 and say it was a modern campaign. So if we think somehow doing the same thing we've done for the last almost 100 years since, you know, 70, 80 years since the act was passed, are going to work against these companies and their specialized lawyers and union avoidance teams, we're smoking dope. I mean, yeah. we got no chance there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've we've advocated, not always, you know, successfully for a number of different strategies that essentially privilege the fact that workers want unions and you can't let employers decide who's going to get a union. Which is unfortunately the whole way that the NLRB certification process works is you're asking for permission yeah. to certify whether or not you're strong enough at your workplace to demand change, demand more money, to demand you know better working conditions, safety, or whatever. So the argument I've made uh, now, uh, when I was on the executive board of SCIU, uh, Andy Stern, who was the president then. Um, Got a lot of respect for Brother Stern, but he asked me and another to write up a different strategy. Well, my strategy didn't win, but it's, and I'm obviously still beating the drum, but I argued you need to look at how to build majorities of workers, not just satisfy existing members. And if you look over the last 30 years at any company that's got more than 10,000 workers employed, they're non-union. We have as much as as we fought our generation of labor organizers to organize mass organization, um, we haven't been that successful in dealing with the new companies that have grown over the last 30 or 40 years. And most of all of them are non-union. Um, and you have to look at a different strategy because the NLRB system and I'm not taking Biden has been the best uh, NLRB president we've had. He's appointed a great general counsel. The board is doing righteous and fantastic stuff. But you don't see mass organization happen uh, because that's still we're still, you know, batting with our you know foot in the bucket, as Mel Ott used to say. I mean, uh, we still not not on a play. It's not an even playing field, this class struggle thing, boys. Yeah, Uh, You know, it's just not even. So we need to be more creative. We need to be more innovative. We need to, you know, sneak up on the bastards. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of resources and people fairly committed for long periods of time to do that. But it's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we uh, we're happy to on the sidelines and uh recording all of it as we go forward (laughs) well we'll see what happens to these recordings but uh it's all good and you know whatever way we can get the word out but look uh we're we're looking forward to being philly and in the east coast i mean i'm based in new orleans i don't have the accent you know uh was raised (laughs) in the west until i got there but uh i've spent time in the east and Boston, Springfield, and and whatever, and obviously Acorn had huge offices in Philly and New York and all over there. Um, so I'm I'm excited about the fact of seeing what organizing is happening these days because I think there's got to be some new things going on. I mean, we go all over the world to find out what people are trying, what strategy and tactics is working, and I think uh, 
I'm hoping to find that there's some some innovative stuff going on on the East Coast because I haven't been out there on the ground, you know, since God, since certainly the pre pre pandemic. Um, but it's been a minute. 2000. I don't know when I, I wrote a book called Nuts and Bolts, uh, Acorn Fundamentals of Organizing. And I, I went to a number of cities, including Philadelphia at that point, um, had a great crowd in Philly, uh, old Acorn members and activists and you know who union people. And uh, but really, uh, you know, looking forward to listening to hear what people are doing and thinking. Well, I, th- I think you'll be pleased coming back to Philly. I do too. I know the attendance union is helping sponsor this thing we've got going at the Unitarian mm-hmm. church. And, uh, uh, you know, look, the last time I was there, if, if you said the socialist response, that you had to find somebody who'd say they were a socialist in order to say, you know, but now we've got, you know, the, the DSA has, you know, their membership exploded thanks to, uh, Donald Trump was a super recruiter. Uh, he really helped build a lot of groups on the left, and uh, DSA certainly saw their membership explode between their work uh, with Bernie and and uh, you know Trump uh, bringing the evil everywhere. Um, so yeah, they're going to help sponsor it too, and uh, looking forward to it. And, and some of the DSA people have been really part of the activist group that's really done the work inside Amazon. And hey, respect. Mm-hmm. Total respect. Yeah. Well, Gabe, you're a member of the DSA, aren't you, sir? I am, yeah. And uh, the uh, honestly, just from the side of this podcast, the labor branch has been incredibly helpful just to keep my thumb on the wire of what all is happening. Because it's with all of the various actions and organizings that have been going on in the city, it's difficult to keep a handle on every little thing going on uh, without having that good network. So, yeah. Uh, go to an organization. What's happening. Oh, yeah. It's been going so well that I, I don't know if you saw it today, Gabe, I wrote a joke post on our Instagram saying, would everybody stop unionizing for a second? We can't keep up with you. Because <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it has been a whirlwind. It really has. Yeah. Well, we need um, that to spread outside of Philly then, because yeah. uh, I'm afraid to tell you that's not exactly the story in a lot of cities. Yes, uh, that's a shame. Yeah, it is. No, I, you know, uh, we still we have offices in Dallas and Houston. You know, we just had a project in Atlanta and even in New Orleans where there's been some, you know, some good work. Uh, you just... You know, there's a big debate over the last year. Was this a movement or a moment? And unfortunately, mm. uh, it's it's feeling more like a moment than a movement right now. Uh, I was very hopeful, you know, uh, all the stuff with Starbucks, all the stuff with Amazon. There seemed to be a lot of weird, weird places all of a sudden embracing being a union. Gamers, for God's sakes. Uh, yeah. You know, REI, you know, co-op people. What the hell? Um, but, you know, those... Those numbers don't show up on the bottom line. I mean, we're still not through in some of the big employers that we need um, to really move the needle so that unions become something more than one out of 10 people uh, who are paying dues. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That has been diving into labor history for the past two years. I think the one of the most upsetting things is just seeing how much it took just to get to the 30% densities 
that we had in the 30s and that we're we're already starting on the back foot trying to get back to that yeah no i mean we first started uh, acorn helped found the united labor unions in 1980 and uh, we didn't realize at the time uh, you know community organizers going into labor or well, labor organizing we just assumed all these unions had organizing departments and now that we know more about labor history and have been inside the belly of the beast for the last you know 40 odd years you find out oh my god they shut down all their organizing departments by 1980 no wonder we had all of our members coming to meetings and saying hey we want a union over at blank 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 and we pick up the phone, we call the local labor council, you know, trades council and say, who covers hotels? Who covers, you know, this kind of work or that kind of work? Mm -hmm. And, you know, next meeting, we see the same person next and they say, you know, Wade or whoever the organizer, nope, nobody's answering my call. And finally, like fools, we jumped in where wise men fear to tread and uh, created these independent unions at the time. in what we thought were workplaces like health home health care as where we had our biggest success uh, and that's been over the last 30 years has probably added a half million people of members to labor unions sciu asked me and many others but um it's not enough to turn the tide i mean you gotta True. you gotta do something very different in labor organizing for us to move this around so hopefully people are taking it more seriously yeah, but don't get me well, started. I mean, <laughs> unions get smaller, the dues gets less, and then you don't have enough yeah. money to run these campaigns. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can tell you what the budget was on the Walmart campaign when I was running it, uh, or the schools campaign when we ran uh, to organize in school workers in Texas to have a union. Um, and I don't know that I could get people to write those checks anymore like that. Uh, you know, to all of a sudden put 30 organizers in the field within a couple of months. I mean, those are big campaigns. But recently I had a friend of mine, in fact, the same director who did the squatters called me and said, oh, he and he and another person, they're gonna, they wanted to make a film about innovative labor organizing now. And where should he go? Damn, I had to call him back. You know, it's not like I had a list right off the top of my head saying, oh, these three places go there because you know, you can't really send them to Starbucks because, I mean, they're stuck now. They're not, the new elections aren't coming. The bargaining is a piece of hell. You can't, you know, Amazon labor unions caught in internal conflict now and they've lost two and one. I mean, where do you, where do you send them to show what the future is like? And I, I eventually, I bought a week of time and I sent him a list, but you tell me, I mean, it's, I'm glad to hear Philly's the place because, uh, we need some place to show the way. Yeah. Well, we hope to change your mind with it being more of a movement and not a moment. Maybe maybe Philly is the place for that movement. Why not? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Now, we, uh, United is based out of Philly, aren't they? Yep. And I know they're a local within SEIU, but I think uh, historically that was where the main base was, and that's where Ben Singer... Uh, was working out of, I know, on the, the Starbucks. I know they're, yeah, I think they are based out of here still. Um, 
Yep, oh, yeah, they're still headquarters. I don't want to be telling you what's happening in Philly. Come on now, guys. Come on. Let's, let's edit hey, this said, before it goes on the air. Hey, yeah. he's the researcher. I'm just a color commentator. <laughs> That's right. I'm just a color guy. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a future there. I mean, poor Drew Bees couldn't make it as a color guy. You know, sometimes you, you got to be able to throw the passes and collect your money. But uh what can I tell you? But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they have a joint board. Uh, this is where their the main headquarters of the of Workers United is is in Philly. Yeah, I mean I've talked the, to some uh, organizers. So no, they're they're good folks there. Yeah, no question. The, and uh, the I mean, I'm certainly biased coming from a museum background, but. Uh, AFSME and Cultural Workers United work in the city has also been pretty impressive. Uh, they're now at the Museum of Art, the uh, University of Pennsylvania Museum, and uh, just recently at the Please Touch, or yeah, mm-hmm. Please Touch. The uh, And then uh, Eastern State Penitentiary is Steelworkers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the it's been interesting to see the museum field going up, but talking about places where you'd never expect to see a union. Well, and some people believe that where you see the the largest growth in unions is in semi white color area, white collar areas. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm afraid those aren't mass employers. I mean, I mean. We yeah. need to organize those places, Gabe. I mean, I'm, I salute it. You know, that works fantastic and needs to be done. But if if we keep falling lower and lower and we're going towards 5% of the private sector now, um, you only can turn that around at some point if you have a, an effective strategy that's going to develop organization, whether it bargains or, you know, can get certified in an NLRB election or not, you have to be able to organize some of these companies that have 10, 15, 20, 100, 150, 200,000 half million workers uh, in order to turn this around. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the problem we face. And as long as the labor movement is so fragmented around jurisdiction and, you know, strategy around you know, NLRB style elections or whatever, it's very difficult to get that kind of traction to go after mass employers. Um, but that's that's the big job ahead of us, uh, or, you know, maybe ahead of you guys. I'm not sure, you know, I'm still running as fast as my little legs can carry, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to be there for the victory. Uh, all we can do is try to get as far as we can get, but we definitely need somebody's some bodies and that's a plural to you know break the hard ground yeah Mm -hmm. well if it was easy someone would have done it already so yeah maybe (laughs) i don't let's hope so um (laughs) but uh yeah i mean we're gonna be in philly i'm gonna look forward to talking to you we've got something uh we're calling acorn advocates where we're also recruiting people to have these kind of conversations and support the organization and get involved in some of this talk about what what would it take to do something different and bigger. And the more folks like you guys are in front of the microphone uh, and talking to people and networking them together and maybe forcing them to do something different or think about something different, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
uh, I don't have any other questions. Do you, Sam? Um, Sam's no, a I'm color just, guy. Come on now. Yeah, I'm the, <laughs> I like just to throw him under the bus sometimes. Jokes. Yeah, tell a joke. Yeah, tell a joke. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what counts for <laughs> color guys and left wing uh, podcast. I mean. Uh, uh, but look, it's been a pleasure to be with you guys, and uh, I might, you know, turn this around. I, you know, I, I mentioned to Gabe when we were waiting for the show to start, we run a bunch of non-commercial radio stations, and you know, if you're going to do that, you end up doing a show, just because you might as well understand what's on the right side of the mic, not just to the right side of your ears. So I do a, I interview people on something called Wage World for a half hour every Friday, and you know, I Good think. Name. Every well, it goes with my name, but I mean, it uh, I think turnabout's fair play. I might have to get you guys to you know call in for a show and we'll talk about what it's like to run a podcast in Philly and have people in New Orleans, Little Rock, and around our world listen to that. So, uh, don't change your names or phone numbers, we'll reach out and see if we can get you on in a couple of months. Uh, that's always a dangerous thing about me, I kid, but. You better change your email, your name, and your phone number. I will find you again and see if I can get you to say no to me or get say yes and <laughs> actually do something to move the ball down the field. Okay, you guys, been a pleasure. If this is it, this is it. Yeah. Huh? Okay, so you'll be in town on uh, May twelfth. Okay, now I'm gonna. Look, you know, I think it is May twelfth. Uh, absolutely, seven p.m. Philly First Unitarian. I don't remember the address, but I think it's downtown. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank well, you very much. Thank you so much for coming to the show. I could probably listen to you for hours. Well, <laughs> if you can, you can come by uh, the First Unitarian Church. I'll call yeah, you. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, Sam. Maybe we'll do one of those. We'll let you open up the Q&A. All right. <laughs> All right, you guys. Been a pleasure. <laughs>